This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 482, for November 11, 2015. We're sponsored this week by Red Hat. Welcome back, everybody, to the Macworld Podcast. I am senior contributor Glenn Fleischman, and I welcome you to iPad Pro Week. That's right. This is the week the big... Mama is coming out, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> are we ready for it? Susie Oaks, executive editor of Macworld. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I Apple's heard it's just really... a really, 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 big iPod Touch, so uh, it's, really... it's hard to get excited. <laughs> pump it, pump it up. It's the Nike iPod Touch. Pump it up. Remember when the first iPad came out and they were like, it's just a giant iPod Touch. It's like, yeah, you're just a giant iPod Touch. <laughs> You're an iPad tool. Let's just say iPod tool. Uh, yeah, Apple kind of, uh, you know, we thought there might be, uh, it's Tuesday morning as we record this. Did they do uh, day before reviews? I haven't seen any. Oh, yeah. Where are the reviews? Are no I guess reviews. tomorrow. I guess Wednesday. I guess. Usually they, you know, they have this whole thing. I don't understand so many things about this product. I know that the people who got them got them last week, I want to say. Like, so they're doing day and week. date So they're probably, embargo. like, it sounded like they had kind of a long uh, chunk with it. I mean, because Apple decides. Apple decides when they get them, and then Apple decides who is, you know, getting them, clearly. And then Apple decides when you can publish. So if Apple thought that, you know, this is going to be the desktop, repl- the laptop replacement that everyone's been waiting for, and it's going to give its, you know, reviewers two weeks or something so they, they you know they, they get a lot of time with it to really do everything that they do with a computer um so yeah maybe tomorrow i mean that it, weird yeah it's so weird. you can order it tomorrow but nobody's gonna get one in their hands before friday but it would be pretty shocking if they didn't have them up tomorrow because that's when they're really you know selling them yeah i expect i mean it'll probably be a 6 a.m uh eastern embargo is what they often do on yeah they day, usually but, do six yeah but that's i still i'm so i'm baffled okay and not like there's yeah, an answer but let's talk this through good call uh, because uh so ipad pro first of all I'm still unclear what the market is for people. Uh, no, I shouldn't say. Okay, like so, I'll, I'll back myself up. I understand that that Apple tries to fill niches when it feels like it can do something unique in it. So it didn't do a big phone until it felt like it had a big phone that was thin enough and had super features. And then the iPhone 6s Success Plus come out, and uh, uh, you know they do a Force or 3D Touch and better camera and live photos and whatever. Okay, so I get all that, right? I don't see where the iPad Pro fits in a matrix. There's nothing like it. And I've been puzzling about it since because I know the audience that I know who wants it. We talked about this when it was announced. The audience that wants it are graphic professionals who do a lot of work uh, with, um, you know, Cintiq tablets from Wacom and other things like that. They want to have a big thing that they draw on that's pressure sensitive or, or has that uh, ability, simulates that. And, uh, I don't understand if there's a broader audience for this, for people who want a big iPad that's pressure sensitive or not, um, that they use as a PC replacement. What do you, what do you think about it? Do they, have you felt like the market has clarified since it was announced about who this is aimed for or what, what segment they're going to try to get with a giant iPad? Well, I think Apple is definitely aiming it at those people. So they've had, you know, they've tweeted pictures of like, oh, we brought it to Pixar and surprise, the Pixar animators loved it. And we brought it to, um, I know some people who went to Adobe Max, which is Adobe's um, creative conference down in LA and got hands on with it there and the pencil and everything. And Adobe actually sells, you know, a competing uh, pencil product called the ink that's a pressure sensitive thing. It's actually got some connectivity to the Creative Cloud in it, so you can store your Creative Cloud snippets and 
fonts and favorite color palettes and stuff like in the pen and then it doesn't even matter what iPad you're using all your your assets come with you which is oh, kind of neat. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Yeah, it's a it's a cool product. Um but anyway, so so yeah, they're definitely hoping that those people use it. I mean, they've been doing this big business push with the iPad and making not, you know, business apps that we think of like spreadsheets and, you know, emails and ways to all teleconference to a meeting. They're thinking you know, all the jobs that people used to do with clipboards, so like uh, flight attendants, inventory, you know, people who work out in the field and used to carry around like a stack of paper. Um, they're, you know, working with IBM to write apps to replace a lot of that yeah. um, on the iPad. But I don't know a lot of those people. I mean, some of those people, I'm sure a big iPad would fit, but some of them might like, you know, the the Air or the Mini because it's it's easier to carry around. Well, they're already the using that too. The iPad Mini and the, and the iPad Air 2 can both do the split screen cool stuff that the iPad Pro does. So that's not a selling feature on its own. See, what I'm wondering is if all this IBM interaction and, they're in, you know, this is all very quiet in the sense that we don't hear very much about it. There's, there's so much less, for instance, there is so much less enterprise IT reporting these days than there used to be. I mean, think five years ago or 10 years ago, what IDG did, what other companies did, I just don't even see it. Like, I know it's out there and there are websites, but but I think there's 90% or 95% less enterprise reporting, right? I mean, that's just the change in the market. So it feels a lot more hidden, even though it's not secret at all. So I don't hear these initiatives about like, IBM, you know, I know IBM's done it. Everyone's very happy uh, with what's going on there. And it sounds like it's a big deal. So what I'm wondering is, uh, did IBM do the feedback bubble up and it's come up through those teams working with the enterprise saying, you know what everyone says they want? They want a pressure sensitive, like note taking PC replacement iPad. Like the one, the iPad Air is great and people love it, but you know, they want one that's got twice as much screen area. And so and here's more my power. It's got, you know, yeah, a performance. Right. Uh, so here's my question like, or here's my claim chowder is what if what happens here, and, and this is their expectation is, you know, a quarter goes by with it on sale. Tim Cook gets up there doing some event and says, we shipped 5 million of these. You know, 80% went to the Fortune 500 companies or something. And you're like, oh, because that <laughs> that would be the secret that we don't know is that they have an audience out there that they know from their app sales force has been dying for this. And so they're selling like – they sell like a million to graphics professionals and, and early adopters and people just of general interest, like kind of the iPad crowd, you know, baseline, they're always going to sell some, even at any price. And then the majority wind up going to these specialized, um, not specialized, these enterprise audiences where there's apps and interest in having something that is as powerful and useful as a laptop. And hey, hey, you know what the tip off might be, though, is what did Tim Cook just say that? <laughs> yeah. Tim Cook was just a little bit out there, seems to me. Tim Cook did a, an interview with uh, The Telegraph. Yeah, the Telegraph. Um, that's he said that uh, he thinks that it's going to cannibalize their laptop business, but as long as they're cannibalizing <coughs> themselves, that's just fine. Which you know, yes, good point. Um, yeah, he said that he doesn't think people. If you're looking at a PC, why would you buy a PC anymore? No, really, why would you buy one? And that's just, I mean, that's oh, a silly Tim. thing for a computer company CEO to say. But Tim, you know, Tim, he's Tim. selling a product, so. But for categories, I mean, this is the whole – this was the netbook thing. Is like the netbook came out as a category. Apple said over and over again, we just don't – we think it sucks. You know, And they're basically like, who well, wants to buy – It was too low end for Apple. Yeah, they couldn't make margin. It's cheap. They're like, no one wants that. And then they came with the iPad. And the iPad didn't kill the netbook, but it um, well, devastated the netbook segment. It uh, The PC industry destroyed its own margins by making people expect cheap uh, computers. And now mm -hmm. all computers are cheap. And and the iPad, even though it didn't, I think you know the secret of the iPad is 
it's made a ton of money for Apple. It hasn't been a blowout like the iPhone, you know, and they're, and they're having stalling issues with sales and, you know, declining growth and all that. Uh, but it, it destroyed the PC industry. I mean, I think, I think that the iPad did more to increase Mac sales of all things by like sucking the air out of the room for PC makers who'd gone all in on netbooks. Yeah, so the the iPad, I mean, maybe a little bit of the iPad Pro too. Like those are great points. Um, and maybe a little bit of the iPad Pro's kind of reason for existing is so Microsoft has kind of gone the other way and said, okay, we're we're gonna piss off all our OEMs by releasing this high end, really nice laptop replacement Surface Book. Um, PC World just got in the Surface Book and reviewed it and. I played with it a little bit, and it's really nice. So maybe there was something there, and Apple has seen the iPhone become its biggest business by far, and they started selling bigger iPhones. Maybe they saw a lot of people really like this bigger iPhone, but there's some things that an iPhone, you know, still doesn't do that great, and you would need, you know, something with a bigger keyboard or whatever, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a computer like Apple's seen the you know the landscape shifting towards mobile year after year after year more and more so you know I think there's a little maybe some surface um, influence in there like clearly the iPad Pro was in development long before the surface book that just came out but um, yeah Microsoft was doing well making nice tablets I mean I think they had you know kind of small audiences but the small audiences were you know paying a lot for them and very dedicated to them and um, the guys here at PC World really like them. So I think there's definitely a market for a high-end tablet. And the iPad Air, I mean, it's the iPad Air 2, it's it's high-end, but Apple can't really, like, do much more to it. They kind of, you know, they, they can keep making it faster every year, but they don't really raise the price when that happens. They just, you know, that's their thing. They they keep every, all the prices the same and just give it more power and more storage or something. So if they argument. wanted to really take it to another level and make a high-end tablet, like making it bigger and making it as powerful as a laptop was kind of the only, you know, headroom they had. No, I think that's an excellent argument. It's, it's almost inevitable they had to do an iPad Pro because there's a, I mean, that's that thing I was saying at the outset is that they find niches and they fill them when they have something unique to offer. And even if the Surface isn't selling extraordinarily well or, or any of the Microsoft Surfaces, and even if there isn't a giant segment for it, uh, they need to fill out their, It's. I mean, at some level, it's filling out their laptop line. Now they have a giant tablet, pressure-sensitive tablet with an optional keyboard. They have the 12 inch MacBook for super slim thinness. If you can deal with limitations, which I still love mine. I'm six months in and I think it's, it's one of my favorite machines. It, I don't love the keyboard, but it, it did not, you know, I'm, I'm six months into using it and I have no regrets about buying it. Love the size and weight and speed. And you and returned your Apple watch. Like if I you did. didn't like it, you would tell us. Yeah, if I didn't, <laughs> I would have gone right back. This was not a loaner unit. This is not a review. Unit. I bought the thing and I kept it. Uh, and, uh, uh, so you got the 12-inch MacBook. You got the MacBook Air for people who want to spend less and not have Retina, but still have a lightweight, inexpensive laptop. It's a, it's very inexpensive in terms of performance standards, I think. And then you got that's the, my Mac. I, I MacBook Air all the time. And it's great. I love my MacBook Air. It was a favorite machine, too. And then the MacBook Pro for people who need more performance or a bigger screen size. So in that setting, if you say the iPad Pro is actually, despite not running OS X software, is in that lineup. You know, it's sort of – it's the top end of the iPad lineup, but really it's more – uh, they are, they're filling a space and well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Um, uh, the commercial came out for it and, uh, I know you have a little bit of a, an issue with Apple commercials, not the commercials themselves, but, um, it annoys me when the commercial comes out and then you see like all these sites like post it, like it's news. They're like, look an Apple commercial. And then they embed the commercial and I'm sure people click on that, but yeah. it just annoys me. 
Like I Apple just, can sell its own products. They don't need our help. I have a quip about the commercial. Are you ready for my quip? Oh, yeah. I didn't even it. actually watch the commercial oh, yet. Is it good? Okay. Here's my quip. It's, I didn't realize people were still excited about the iTunes visualizer. Yeah, I, I'm a stand-up comedian. Not at all. Uh, but do I watch it a, a crazy visualizer on the it's, screen? It's, well, it's it's kind of beautiful. People will watch it. I'm sure all the listeners have seen it because it'll they be They make nice commercials. Yeah, it's and beautiful. And I'm sure I'll see it on TV. It shows like, <laughs> swir- like swirling gases and stars and it's just kind of this beautiful and it's like, you know, two wonderful music and- It's a big uh, bang kind of thing. Yeah, and then- and it pulls back, and you see uh, my friends at Sky Guide, uh, local Seattle company, two guys. Their software keeps getting featured in Apple ads because it's gorgeous. They have a, it's a, a, what do you call it? Uh, not virtual reality. It's the opposite. It's a, a, augmented reality. Yes, augmented reality. So you, you can hold it up, and it works on iPhone and iPads. You hold it up, and you see the night sky. And it gives you that oh, overlay. Okay. And like Starwalk, uh, but it different. Yeah, there's a bunch. That Sky Guide is uh, is they went out and they photographed. Um, Around the world, they actually took pictures of the night sky, and they they've done some real. It's it's. I mean, I'm biased because I know these guys. They're not they're not like they're acquaintances more than let's say close friends or anything. But I worked in an office uh, co working space with them, and I think they do beautiful work. And they keep coming out every time. You know, they were uh, early out with the watch and um, the iPad or uh, the uh, iPhone six when that came out. They had a six customized version and. Anyway, oh yeah, you wrote about their watch app. Yeah, they were. It's we were cool, writing about I, early you know, watch when, apps. When I had my watch, I used it because it would tell you things like the ISS is about to go overhead. It would give you a little alert, and you could look up and spot the ISS. Um, so it's a beautiful ad, and um, and it's also like a little STEM ad. It's promoting science, which is uh, which is good. Um, they make good commercials. They do, and I love do. everyone who writes about Apple. It is funny. Like, what other companies before Apple, and now you see it, other companies do it, and you're like, your commercial is boring, folks. But they show it during, you know, keynote presentations. Like, hey, we have an ad. You want to see it? Everyone goes, yeah, let's see the ad. It's like, really? It's an it's an ad. During the keynotes, I like it because then I get a second to, you know, like, catch up. figure out what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> catch up and, you know, check the Slack and check that the live blog is still working. And all I that. feel like Tim and uh, Hannah and uh, if I can use people's first names, Tim and Hannah and Johnny are uh, – talking a lot these days. I'm seeing them interviewed all over. They're on stage. They're talking to newspapers. They're blabbing stuff about, you know, oh, if we had an Apple car, you know, what do you imagine what a key could, you know, wouldn't need a key. And you're like, come on. You know, these guys are, are very voluble, I would say, compared to days past. Well, yeah. And speaking of that, buried, buried in this uh, Telegraph interview, he, they ask him about the streaming service, um, the long rumored streaming oh. service that's coming to Apple TV, but did not launch with the Apple TV. And we've been hearing, you know, CBS is probably in their blabbermouth CEO said that he liked it (laughs) we haven't heard that much else about it and just you know rumors here and there Uh, so they asked Tim Cook about it and he wasn't you know he didn't have anything to sell so he kind of played coy he said the key question for us is can we do something better that acts as a catalyst if we conclude we can then we would but I wouldn't do something just to do something Mm-hmm. So that to me sounds bad. <laughs> I'm I'm worried about that quote, that they're not like, oh yeah, we were working on something really great, and we and, and we think that the the industry is ripe for disruption or really you know whatever. He would come up with like something to say about how there's a lot of opportunity there, and he thinks it's a really exciting space. But saying I wouldn't do something just to do something yeah. is kind of like. Ooh, like the, maybe these talks are not going well. Or, or I don't know. shots across the bow. It's like, all right, industry, you think? Oh yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna... We don't have to do something. We I could just scrap something. the whole thing if this you guys don't want to play ball. Like, yeah, that's true. He could be. He could it's be talking to we the industry care. more than trying to manage expectations to yeah. the, the media and the customers. He's a yeah. He's a cagey guy. It's funny because I feel like Tim Cook is. I mean, Steve Jobs played everything close to the vest, 
and got angry, you know, publicly a lot and kind of had this whole, you know, the whole reputation or whatever. But I feel like Tim Cook, uh, he seems like he's being more straightforward. I don't know if he is, but he seems to be less, um, just less closed mouthed about things. Like, uh, and it's not like, and it's not even leaks. It's just, I feel like when he says something, it usually turns out to be face value, kind of what he's, ma- what he means ultimately like, oh yeah, I guess he did mean that. Uh, well, but he's also good at kind of staying on message. So maybe mm-hmm. they're like, you can go talk more because you're not going <laughs> to, you're not yeah. going to get like salty with somebody or you're just going to, you're going to deliver the message in a professional way, in a charming accent. He's, he's nice. I like to. He's got, I like the Alabama accent. You got to love. Uh, I've, I've been a connoisseur of Apple accents for a while. There's Johnny Ive has an amazing accent. My favorite still and always will be Bertrand Surlay. Oh yes. Of course. Uh, best accents best on the accents. Apple executive board. That's you, if you hold down on the keys and the on the iOS, you get the accents. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> like, hello, hello, hello. Uh, you want a you with an accent? A you? Okay. Uh, <laughs> speaking of holding down things in an iPhone, uh, Apple Pay. We've been waiting for uh, loyalty card integration, and it was announced for iOS nine. And um, we've been sort of waiting for something interesting to happen, right? You know, we have Wallet. Um, it's there. I still find – now, this is – I mean, this is just me, right? Is uh, mm-hmm. Probably not. Is <laughs> So you double tap the home button to bring up your cards if you're not near an NFC reader and you want to pull something up, like your Starbucks card or whatever. Uh, and now there's like, you know, you've got credit cards and you've got wallet items, whatever they're called. I don't even know what they're called. Yes. Something else. Wow, uh, mine but, even offered me my Eventbrite tickets. Oh. So if I was like at the door and I was like, ooh, I got to get those Eventbrite tickets, I wouldn't even have to unlock my phone and open up Passbook. I can oh, double I tap that. and everything in Passbook. You mean wallet? There. It's called wallet now. Get with wallet, the program. Sorry. No, I, don't, yeah. I didn't actually until this moment I'd forgotten well, to Starbucks, change. So, Walgreens, Capital One, Bank of America, and Eventbrite. So you Strange. go to wallet. And but not, the thing that bugs me is you can't get to wallet from the lock screen, right? Even with unlocking no, it your was phone, just that selection because I have more yeah. things in my wallet, but they're old things. I have but, well, these Eventbrite tickets are all old, as a matter of fact. But if you but wanted I have, the cards, like, though, if you want other stuff that wasn't in, it wasn't shown there. It's like so, you, so if you want to add stuff to wallet, you have to go and you have to find, you have to have wallet, find the wallet app. I hide all my Apple apps practically because I rarely use them. So then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm always like, where do I find this thing? I need to add a card. Uh, but well, so the big the big news though, it's not huge, but it's useful. Is that Walgreens is finally um, integrating with Apple Pay, and I uh, and what's funny is I I went through the steps, and it's actually uh, slightly irritating. And I think I'm sure this will get streamlined. You have to install the Walgreens app, so it's not a you can't just add the card, which Mine I think just is did it automatically. Yours did I had it? the Walgreens Wait, app installed, like years oh you ago. had it installed. Okay, yeah, I had, I had it already. Installed. I didn't have the app installed, so I installed the app. Then I have to uh, you know log in, which makes sense. And then I had a there's like a tab where you're like add this to you know, wallet and I tap that and then I'm all cool and integrated. But uh, what's supposed to happen now is that I'll be able to, uh, you know, uh, do it via NFC. So you'll, you'll um, uh, pay. I don't know. I mean, it doesn't save that much. So the, my problem with Apple Pay is not that I can't put more stuff in it. It's that, you know, I'm not using it as many places as I'd like to go. Um mm-hmm. But the the loyalty card thing, I mean, it's I guess it's a nice to have, but it didn't really bother me because most of those when you sign up, I mean, maybe if you're like a privacy person and you really don't want them knowing yeah, like, yeah. that much about you, it would be good. But when I sign up, I always give them my phone number and they don't call me, but it's just it's a way to like look up um, 
I haven't had a problem with calls, but it's, it's a way to sort of look up your account so you don't have to carry all those cards. Like I don't carry my Safeway card or my Walgreens card or any of my drugstore cards. I just go there and the thing says, are, they say, are you a member? And I say, yeah, I don't have my card. And then I type in my address on the oh, little, I, that, I, right? I type in my phone number on the little keypad. That, I do that too. So and I, I, hate I mean, it. I can use my phone instead of typing in my phone number, but it's not, you know, I don't know. I'm not super excited about this. <laughs> I am for other programs though, because uh, Walgreens, uh, Walgreens rewards are weird. Like I have like 1,100 Walgreens points, and they're like, when you reach 5,000, you get five bucks or something. I'm yeah. like, really? Wait, it's sort of weird. I've been buying stuff. I've been punching that card in. If you get prescriptions there, I think for, they add up faster. I do prescriptions, prescriptions there. They don't cover. I do, uh, oh. I do prescriptions through their mail order, and it's all my stuff's tied in, and I'm earning points. Like I'm like in a thousand years, I'll have made twenty dollars. But, but <laughs> that's other, the thing with points; they're never a good deal. No, there are and other programs that are like, better. They, I mean, Starbucks is actually pretty good. Like their deal, I always do my card there because they actually add up. I just got, you know, they give you discounts. I'm like, 12 coffees, you get one free. Yeah, and it yeah, puts random get, coupons on your card now. Like you'll pull up your card to pay and it'll be like dollar off breakfast sandwiches today thing, and right. tomorrow. That's my thing. I mean, we're, we're actually Those always useful. upsell me though. I'm like, you get away from here with your salt bomb breakfast sandwiches. <laughs> I want to I wanna trade my privacy for benefits. If I'm going to give you my information, give me money yeah, me or things. And so if... If all in the phone with Apple, I go to t- tap the pay. It's like, or I go in the store and says, "Hey, you, you know, has a beacon or whatever it does." And it says, "Hey, you get, you know, here's the deal." And I'm like, "Oh, good. I was going to buy that anyway. It's a buck off." Or, "Oh, yeah, I will upsell because I do want, you know, the salt bomb." Hey, listen, the new <laughs> studies so say good. They're super new salty. studies say salt. Listen, this is not a it's science. It's a salt lick, po- like between salt, bread. <laughs> the, all the studies about salt. There's new. The 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 best research has been disregarded. And uh, this isn't crazy conspiracy stuff. There's actually some new emerging uh, consensus that uh, the SALT guidelines are actually kind of ridiculous, except for a very small number of people. Uh, So eat those SALT bombs. This is my message. The Macworld Podcast says, no, this is not an authorized message of IDG or as affiliates. It just gets you to drink more water that day. That's a good thing. It's okay. Well, we don't have to drink that much water. That's a canard, too. You don't have to drink (laughs) a glass of water. It's everything we know about ourselves wrong. Uh, So let's take a break. This is a good time to take a break uh, and leave my nonsense behind and talk about something that isn't nonsense so we can thank our sponsor this week, Red Hat, because, you know, Red Hat is tried, tested, and trusted, unlike, unlike Len. Uh, at this point, everyone understands that in the right situations, open source software is important technology. It's useful. It's powerful. No one disagrees with that. I mean, the most successful open source project of all time is a little thing called the Internet. Tim Berners-Lee put the www in the public domain. And then there's Berkeley Unix, TCP IP. BSD Linux, Android, the Internet of Things, you get the picture. The only real disagreement is whether open source can be used in an enterprise situation to do an enterprise's most important work. Well, Red Hat's been settling this debate one customer at a time for over a decade. They started with Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and today they certify and support application development, storage, and cloud infrastructure for every conceivable enterprise deployment. You'll find them everywhere. The New York Stock Exchange, DreamWorks, airlines, healthcare companies, uh, they all rely on Red Hat. And in fact, more than 90% of all the companies in the Fortune 500 are Red Hat customers. That's because they get the powerful, constantly improving innovation of open source, but without the risk of having to do it alone. It's that simple. Red Hat Enterprise Software, trusted in the world's most demanding data centers. And you can find out what they can do for yours at Red Hat. Dot com. And thank you to Red Hat for being a sponsor this week. Uh, let's shift gears for a moment because I want to talk about um, uh, with uh, photos uh, 1.1 for uh, El Capitan, the ability to put uh, extensions uh, came in. So you could actually get back some of these plugins that we missed um, that were available in the iPhoto. Uh, we're just starting to see some of those roll out. And Mac Fun is a longtime developer 
of uh, photo extensions. They have standalone software that's really you can use standalone, but it's meant as uh, as plugins. And they've released their versions uh, for photos. Well, they just released a new HDR app, which uh, I think is pretty slick. Do you do you leave HDR on your phone? Do you leave that set to auto? Um. I don't remember. I don't think so. Is. Oh, really? Do you think you have it turned off or on? I think it's off. I think it's usually off and I turn it on sometimes. No, I guess it's on auto because it's off sometimes and on sometimes and I don't really fiddle with it. So it must be on auto. It's an interesting thing. I was, it was, I felt like in early versions of it, it was less good. I should mention though, HDR is high uh, dynamic range photography and it's a, it's a form of computational photography. It's actually the most widely uh, used form. Uh, Lytro, that camera maker that just uh, pivoted to uh, going to VR, um, they were probably the only company making anything in hardware that wasn't HDR that did computational photography. They did uh, light ray photography where they could capture the direction of a beam of light and change focus later and give you kind of a stereoscopic effect on images. It's very cool. It was very early. But HDR is uh, – it lets uh, – you know software combines multiple essentially bracketed images. You're taking uh, – instead of taking one picture, it takes uh, – Behind the scenes, the iPhone particularly, but also cameras that support HDR, they take a bunch of photos, usually at least two, but sometimes three or more, and then they use... Different exposures. Yeah, exactly. Different exposures. The reason it's computational photography is it doesn't just say like, okay, let's do a simple operation to plug them together. In fact, uh, instead it uses an algorithmic approach to combine elements of each photo to produce something that is often like incredibly vivid. Sometimes it's too surreal, like it looks super real and uh, hyper real and it freaks people out. You can get into the uncanny valley a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, ah, you know, and then what's cool sometimes is you see a regular photo, a single exposure in which someone's managed to capture this huge dynamic range. You're like, wow, but that pops less down because of HDR. So uh, MacFun has released a, uh, or they're pre-ordering a uh, a tool. It's called Aurora, Aurora HDR. HDR. We got a review by Jackie Dove up on MacWorld. Yeah, she did a little hands-on. She got yeah. an early version. It's pretty cool. And so it's, you know, so you can, you can do HDR effects, which is interesting, but then it'll also let you drop in bracketed photos you took yourself, and they don't have to be uh, aligned or perfect. They just have to be of the same scene and the software is going to match them up and then let you do this. And th- I think this is great because it gives you more power. Um, there are, there's other software like this, but MacFun, I don't know, they, they, they actually, the guy who um, essentially helped uh, invent and popularize HDR, uh, he's been involved with developing this and tuning it. Yeah, his uh, name's Trey Ratcliffe and he's uh, he has a blog called Stuck in Customs. He's like a travel <laughs> photographer and his uh, blog Stuck in Customs. He's like one of the the guys who really popularized HDR, especially for, you know, landscapes and beautiful travel vistas. So, yeah, because the problem is with if you just take a one a single photo, the the detail in the light areas and in the sharp and in the dark areas isn't going to be as much. You know, if you if you pump up the light in the in the dark areas, then you're going to blow out the light areas. And if you adjust for the light areas, then the dark areas are just going to be all shadow. So HDR can combine those, but you know it can kind of go too far. And if like originally HDR was, you really had to know what you were doing. You know, you had to have a tripod, you had to bracket these images like really well. Because mm-hmm. if you just slapped them over each other, then anything that moved, there would be like this ghosting where, you know, even a leaf was in a different position between two exposures. You're going to see a little bit of that. So this software is supposed to, you know, take this this cool um, 
photographic technique that is really fun to play with and make it just more accessible for for normal people who might not um, <laughs> have all the equipment. So you could you you know you could get a little tripod for your phone and take a bunch of different exposures. So yeah, there's a lot of apps that will you know kind of mimic HDR on your on your phone, but then the, the software is doing all of it. So this is a way to kind of you know put a manual transmission on that process a little bit and let you you know participate without having to be an expert. This is why I'm such a big fan of computational photography because it leverages uh, software and hardware together because there, there are physical limits of how many photons you can gather in image sensors. And if you want to gather, you know, if you want to get the, uh, the highlight detail, which is very bright, right? You're getting towards white, towards the brightest, mm-hmm. most saturated thing. Uh, you, uh, in order to, to differentiate between tones of that range, it has to dampen the sensors down. It can only, it has to take fewer photons. I mean, you know, fundamentally, it has to uh, read in fewer photons, which produce voltages that are, you know, converted through analog to digital to then produce values that are in the photo. So you lose anything in the uh, the shadow detail because it's clamped it down. If you crank it all the way up, so you're capturing tiny, tiny amounts of photons, the entire high end is blown out. And there's there are sensors that are really good at a huge range. It's always so difficult. So if you can leverage the fact that the hardware can do uh, a highlight-centric one or a, uh, a, a relatively noise-free uh, shadow detail one, and then combine those two, you've, it's like having better hardware. And that's why it's been such a popular feature in phones. I mean, my HDR shots on, in iOS are not always better than the original shot by itself. Um, sometimes they're flatter instead of being more vivid or whatever, but often there's just that greater range of detail captured across a more uh, a broader dynamic photo. So um, it's hard to find the perfect circumstances to take a shot. And uh, I mean, this is the big thing too often is that it's very hard as you get towards dark, you know, the cameras have to really crank up and you get noise and speckling and whatever. So if you have a way to offset that by um, by not trying to capture the full range, you just, you just get a better result. So this is going to be... Um, Neat. The other part of computational photography, you know, it's funny, I, when uh, Jackie Dove was at Macworld, I wrote a big feature for her, not a big feature, but a medium length one a few years ago <clears throat> about uh, panorama apps. Um, and some of the panorama apps out there, uh, in fact, uh, Microsoft has that program. I don't know if they're still supporting it. It's that one where you could, you just take a bunch of pictures and it would stitch together the overlaps and produce almost like a 3D image you could pan around in. And that's also an example of computational photography. And so I keep waiting. I thought a few years ago we'd see more of it, but it is very CPU intensive. So um, it'll be neat. There should be a point in which you could take a bunch of photos. Like you just burst mode. You just shoot a bunch of pictures. I mean, you still have to compose and think about what you're taking. But you would take a bunch of pictures. You'd load them into your computer and say like, hey, I can do interesting things with that. Uh, Google Photos does that. Have you have you used Google Photos uh, very much since they did the update? A few months um, ago, yeah, but not for. I haven't used it for any panoramas, but I love well, their little oh, auto awesome things where they make that's computational photography. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and it, but so it's an algorithm is actually looking at photos you took, deciding that it has some relationship between them, and then producing a uh, stylized image that's interesting. And I, I don't know. So we'll see. And they do recognition too, so you can search for like tacos and find all your pictures of tacos. That is my favorite. Even though you didn't actually tag them tacos when you were taking the picture. I love just knows uh, that that's a taco. It's so good. Yeah, I I actually use uh, upload everything to Google Photos and to uh, iCloud Photo Library, and I invariably go to uh, Google Photos to search because I can search on like you know bird on in August two thousand three, and it comes up with matches things I never tagged. And uh, it'll, it's better about reading the metadata about dates. And in photos, I have a terrible problem getting dates to work correctly. It's really actually mm-hmm. quite annoying. Uh, so that's have you been playing with live photos much? 
I've messed with it a bit. I'm not in fun. love with it because it's fun with kids. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I think it's neat, but it's more, it's a great gimmick as opposed to like I really I recognize the critique that was uh, given initially, which is that it's so it's basically a blurry low res before and after, but it's fun. I mean, I took a picture of a dog and the dog's leaping around. I have one really good static shot in the middle. That's the high res one, but you get the sense of the dog moving around, which is neat. Yeah. So I yeah I, I take a lot of pictures of my my kid obviously and his friends and. There'll be a picture of two of them, you know, like sitting next to each other on the subway and they're both looking at the camera and they both have their eyes open and I caught the I caught the frame <laughs> and it looks great. <laughs> and you're like, yes, I got this one. Because usually you have to take like 20 pictures of them before, you know, he's even looking at the camera. Um, maybe so that's, what, maybe that's why he doesn't look at the camera because I take too many pictures. But I, the, I have a million identical photos because of burst mode. I'll hold down for a second. Yes, it'll give me 20. And then me too. even though photos will sync it correctly, if I load it to Google Photos, I'm like, oh, no, I've got 20 pictures that I only want one of these because I didn't set the setting right. And Yeah. But anyway, um, so I'll have, I'll have the frame and I'll, I'll get it. And you're like, oh, it's so nice. Like, look at them smiling so sweetly. But then my favorite thing <laughs> about live photos is then you can, you know, 3D touch it and you get to see them go from one side of the frame to the other and stand up and sit down. It's, it's only like two <laughs> seconds or whatever, but like just to see the incredible range of motion that a t- three-year-old can cover in the time it took me to be like, no, seriously, look at the camera. It's it's hilarious. I love it. But then, you know, the problem is that there's nothing you can do with those. And if you back them up to any service but iCloud Photo Library, they get backed up as just a picture. So I know. Eventually, it'll. I think there'll probably be a standard that emerges to support something like this because it makes sense. And I, I love, you know, I love snippets. I think a little bit of video uh, goes so much further than a lot of video. That was Steve Jobs' famous remark I was quoting. He told uh, David Pogue years ago. It was like, you just never look at that old stuff. You know, you record stuff, never look at it. Live photos, you look at yeah. Or, or you know, you record, I'll record 10 seconds well, of video. you look at it until you want to, you know, crop it or edit it or do anything to it that kills oh, yeah, the live photo-ness. And then, then, then it's you're a, like, oh, I've, like, not edited photos because I didn't want to Then it's a to dead photo. The, the you, magic. Kill, you kill yeah. the live photo. Now it's dead. Maybe dead. someday that'll be a more fleshed out thing and not yeah. just, you know, half an idea that they put out and have left alone. It's still kind of, it's cool if you're it's in the cool. ecosystem and you never do anything. And that's kind of, I think a lot of people, this is kind of a true thing about most computing is most people never do anything to anything, right? They just, they just use what's available and it's, they don't even have to be, uh, this is like the post-computer literate era in which you can do really sophisticated things, but you can only do those things if they're supported through uh, software that doesn't require any configuration. So people are doing stuff that is vastly more interesting than 20 years ago. But if you ask them how it works or how to fix it or change it, they have no idea. And, right. and that sounds like a judgment. It probably is. I'm being judgy. You don't know how your computer works. So you should know. It's, I don't feel that way at all. But, but it's okay because <clears> no true. one's going to use computers anymore. It's it? true. According to Tim's took, we're all going to use giant iPads. The uh, funny thing about that was he was like, yeah, people will never need computers again. Just this and their phone. That's right. <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of stuck and their phone on the end. And I was like fooling around. I was like, yep, and just your this, your phone, your toothbrush, your shoehorn. All I need is this chair no and more this computer. cup and these. That's all I, all I need. Oh, Tim Cook starring in The Jerk. For those <laughs> uh, my wife is always quoting that. All I need is this. Uh, I want to talk about a different subject. Change gears again. Um, ransomware and the Mac. We'll also talk about bum, the Apple TV. We'll talk about the Apple TV in a minute too. Like, so some Apple TV stuff. But uh, story came out uh, as we're recording this about uh, the headline uh, over at Motherboard, part of Vice. Now we have proof that Macs can get ran- ransomware, and I actually think that's a totally. It's actually a totally reasonable headline because uh, there's this attitude that Mac users think we're invulnerable. We can't get viruses when in fact we're just smug. <laughs> 
Well, and then there's the there's been the the reverse attitude I've seen crop up a lot too, where oh, it's yeah. like every time there's a security story, they're like, the media trumps up these security stories and doesn't mention that like these aren't actually in the wild, like no one's really right. getting infected with these proof of concepts and zero days and stuff, and you're writing about it irresponsibly, which I also disagree with. Oh, so yeah, there has I to be a great. happy medium. People need to know what's going on, but then we're you know we're not fear mongering over here. I'm with yeah, I'm with you. I think that's exactly it. It's like we shouldn't be, you know, Mac users should not be smug. We've been lucky. There's certain things by design that make it very difficult. We because of the way that that Safari was never integrated in the same way the Internet Explorer was fundamentally into the operating system. And Microsoft's been working for, you know, a decade to essentially reverse that. And because of the way that Apple's mail, well, first of all, there's an ecosystem of different email programs for the Mac. And second, even as mail app has become the dominant thing that people use on a Mac. It never ran executables. You have to exploit it, and and Windows Mail programs, Outlook would run software, and or it would it wouldn't check enough. And so Microsoft's battle was, you know, it was very easy to send something to a Windows machine. It's still it's not it's much less easy now, and have it run in some fashion. And Apple just didn't execute stuff as much or in the same way. And so that's a natural immunity, and they've been able to enhance that even as Microsoft's advanced in many ways beyond Apple in terms of. Uh, operating system security. And so now, you know, most exploits go through third parties that go through Flash. Uh, they're exploiting Java like crazy. That's still going on. Uh, they're trying to find sites that are vulnerable where they can, you know, find certain kinds of mobile systems. Like Android now has tons of exploits, some of which will never be patched in older phones. So there could be a billion vulnerable Android devices out there uh, that, that just will never get an update. Um, so we see all that. <clears throat> but I thought this headline, I thought Motherboard actually threaded the needle well because uh, the story wasn't Macs are uh, – people are going to be um, – uh, so ransomware, just to explain to readers who haven't, or listeners who haven't heard of this, uh, it's software that uh, – it's malware that locks your machine. It encrypts files and you have to pay something to get your files back. And the funny part is uh, this is how – you know, Somali uh, – <laughs> let's talk about Somali pirating, okay? Because I know that's directly relevant to Macs. Um, but, you know, the Somali pirates for a long time, they were very reliable about not harming passengers and um, honoring – the uh, uh, ransom. So they would get money, they would release the boat because that was a deal. If they didn't do it, it was bad business. And then things went pear-shaped and the reason that situation, you know, the government's front like, all right, all right, we got to do something about this because they're killing people and they're not releasing the boats. And so ransomware functions under the same principle. If the people holding uh, your machines for ransom didn't actually give you the files after you paid, that's not a business. Then you get, you know, you get a whole different kind of thing. But instead, they're collecting tiny amounts of money from uh, hundreds of thousands of people. It's it's an incredible scammy business. Uh, So anyway, Motherboard isn't saying this is in the wild, but they're saying now two researchers have shown methods by which they could essentially use phishing or other means to uh, to to do this on a Mac, and I think that's a you know reasonable thing to be aware. Yeah, and of. the guy who made this one said it took him two days. Yeah, there, there's a lot of unpatched stuff. So my question is always, as we were talking about just before, is is what's the vector of exploit? So this is a possibility, but it doesn't require someone to go to when they're fished, quote unquote, to go to a website, download software double click it, enter an administrative password, and then, um, you know, even sometimes, you know, give access. Like, yes, I'll give access to my contacts. So anything that requires someone to install and use an administrative password, it's still malware, but it's a different category. It doesn't spread um, like wildfire. Then you're doing ones and twos. You have to convince very gullible people uh, who have not been paying attention the last decade that this is a bad thing to do. So, I mean, I use whole disk encryption. Um, My All my... 
files are already encrypted. Could they? No, oh no, no, but they're not. Could while they you're, still encrypt more. <laughs> yeah, hold disk. Hold disk encryption is like it's like being inside and outside the bubble. As long as your machine's running, it's actually oh, irrelevant. Oh, then it's unencrypted. Exactly. That's right. I mean, the whole I the thing is. You should be using, you know, as long as you're doing backups, I mean, I recommend, and nobody does this, right? And we always recommend this, is I make a clone. I've got a drive uh, permanently attached to my desktop machine, and I make a clone every night that's up to date. So if my main drive dies, which happened to me earlier this year, as is documented at like MacWorld.com. Uh, yeah, no, overnight, during the day, but then you yeah, have last night. Over the night, okay. does I use uh, SuperDuper? You can use that or Carbon Copy Cloner, and I they uh, they both will do incremental backup. So it takes you know it runs for like ten mm-hmm. minutes, and it puts a few gigabytes uh, into the clone because it just has to change the part. So I have a a bootable clone that I can also use with a uh, time machine uh, or not time machine with disk utility booting from a recovery partition. Mm-hmm. I can restore that. So and I had to do that. I think twice earlier this year. So it's paid off. Then I also do cloud-based backups as well. And those files, uh, as long as you have a history, even if they get encrypted by ransomware, at some point you can find the point before that happens and restore to that state. Right. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, uh, But if you're cloning every night, if I had ransomware infect my machine and then I'm st- I didn't realize it happened during the day and then it gets cloned, I'm in the same position I was. Yeah. So I have a time machine backup. I don't do the clone. I time machine, should. you're safe you're right. because you can, as long as you can roll back. I mean, it per, time then machine. you use the recovery partition to put in a fresh copy of OS 10 and then you would restore the files from the time machine backup. So before even if this happened to point, me, I'd be okay. Yeah. Before yeah you could roll back. I mean, what you'd probably do is you don't even need to restore your system as long as you could root out the malware, if there was an effective uninstaller, you would find in Time Machine the the, the files that were encrypted. And you roll back before the Just encryption happened. Get all. Yeah, I know it's uh it's it's scary. So the thing that people can do to defend, as always, and I just wrote a private eye about this, you know, which was never download software from anything mm-hmm. but the Mac App Store or developer site. And if you're not sure it's a developer site, do a little research. And um, it's interesting. I just had an exchange on Twitter this morning with a fellow who's been a Mac uh, update, uh, which is one of the sites that. Uh, is now doing some bundling with uh, adware uh, and they never did before. Now no, they appear no, to be no. doing it. The company did, no. did, they did not respond to, uh, to request for a comment. And, um, but they've told their users, if you're a paid Mac update user, you don't get these bundles. And if you're not uh, for some software, you do like Skype. Uh, so this fella has been a Mac update subscriber. He found, he's found it very useful because it does make sure that all of this software is up to date. It's a great service. But I would say almost all of my software now self-updates. It says, hey, there's an update. I mean, I don't, I can't think of any software I have that doesn't automatically tell me when there's a new version. So I don't ever have to go to a site. It's very rare. I have to go somewhere and download software or it comes from the Mac App Store through an update there. So uh, phishing really succeeds for something like this. Uh, so far as we know, now we don't know, there may be drive-by attacks where you go to a website and, and these have been documented in the past. They've really never gone into the wild. You would go to a website with Safari, you'd, uh, uh, you know, you wouldn't do anything. You just visit the site. You might not even click anything and it would install malware. There's been very, very few examples of this being effective and nothing widespread so far for the Mac. Doesn't mean it can't happen. But as long as, uh, and this is, we're kind of in that stage Susie, I think where we have to be constantly telling our friends and family, like, yeah, don't down, no, don't. If you have any question, ask me first. You don't need that. Don't download. Don't install the don't, don't, don't. And it's the the other. You know, I mean, the the big catch twenty two here is that the people, at least in, you know, in my life, I don't want to stereotype, but the people in my life who I feel like would be most susceptible susceptible to things like phishing emails and you know, downloading stuff from the wrong places and getting, you know, a bundled um, thing that rhymes with 
crap seeker. Um, <laughs> I, they're the ones who are also the least likely to be, you know, engaged in good backup habits. And me being like, oh, okay, fine. Well, let's just erase everything and go back to your last backup. So it's it's a bummer. Like those are the people who are sort of most vulnerable to getting like all of their photos deleted. Or I mean, you know, I know this the, is what... the, the bundle thing doesn't do that. But you know, it's like they're sort of like the least equipped to be able to recover from these these computer mistakes. So yeah, if some Te- company would figure this out. Well, I guess. well, the problem is we don't have enough. At broadband, everybody but me that is. <laughs> no. oh, sorry, every podcast. <laughs> just Glenn gonna, has fiber. I'm trying to. I'm sorry. It's been so still delightful. has fiber. Oh, still has later. fiber in his machine. Everyone's gonna come to Glenn's house and stab him because uh, he's talking about fiber. <laughs> and whip. then upload those videos oh, super my fast. God, Swiss. <laughs> They'll hit me with fiber cables. Frayed Why aren't you just periscoping your entire life right now? <laughs> I, could, I could just be HD 4K UDF. Like, myself. guess what, Twitter? I don't have to tweet anymore. <laughs> I'm just bot- tune into the Glenn just channel. Streaming video. Oh, nobody wants Glenn.tv, Let me tell you. Uh, so, uh, but if you don't have, if you don't have broadband that's like 10 to 20 megabits per second upstream, which is not atypical. <laughs> Now, I mean, that is much more common and, it, and it's increasing because there is just enough competitive pressure uh, in some markets. You're starting to see that. Without that, you know, Apple can't just release a backup product. And uh, But if Apple were able to say, look, and I, I, uh, it drives me crazy that they can't do this. Most people probably only have besides their phone. I mean, they have a ba- Let's say this. Apple has a backup product now. It's called iCloud Drive and iCloud Photo Library and iCloud Music Library. Those are essentially backup products that they don't <laughs> promise are backups, right? I'm not backing anything up to anything called iCloud Blank Library. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, that's the problem. They're making no promises about it whatsoever in the sense that they're not saying – and they're doing like iCloud Photo Library. It's a sync service. It's not really a backup. Well, the music library is kind of a backup. I don't know. In iCloud Photo Library, there is a repository you can go and look at at all your photos at full resolution. But they don't market it that way because they don't want the responsibility of it. They don't want the, oh, everything was lost. It's like, well, if you're lucky – you just resync, but they don't want to promise it. And I don't, I can't, I shouldn't say that. I haven't looked at all the terms and services. They may say somewhere, you know, we make a backup, but we're not, we're not promising it. But the, it is a sync service. Here's the thing. If Apple were to go one step further, and would anyone trust them with s- s- cloud stuff at this point? Like you, I don't know. But if they were to go one step further and say, look, um, our backup service requires a minimum 10 megabits per second upstream. We promise we won't use more than one or two. We'll throttle it and it will constantly back up things we identify as, you know, documents and, and system preferences and nothing else, right? Because most people, for most people outside of photos and music, that's like from uh, a couple gigabytes to 20 gigabytes. I back up my in-laws machines. They've been creating files for, um, 20 years. I mean, we have all her Apple works files, right? Um, and she's still, they write email, they do all this stuff. Their backup is like five and it includes photos. So I'm not syncing them. Their backup is like 20 gigabytes. It's not that big. So I don't know. I hope Apple gets into that at some point, just because then it would provide a baseline for people so they wouldn't lose their most important stuff. Oh, well. All right. Hey, so one last thing before we go, because we got a few more, let's have a few minutes left. Let's talk about Apple TV briefly, because an update came out and uh, we've been posting stuff like mad at macworld.com. To help people uh, sort it out. The update was not significant, it seems like. It there weren't bugs. any release notes, so yeah. they didn't add anything. It doesn't seem like they added anything. 9.0.1, less changes. worse. Yeah. Less worse. Um, one of the things that uh, was brought up, I, I recommend people read uh, our friend Joe Rosensteel, uh, who goes by at Joe Steele, so I forget his last name sometimes. <laughs> Joe Rosensteel, uh, who's a uh, special effects uh, 
uh, or as, as a computer graphics guy. Uh, he uh, writes very intelligently about uh, TV-related things, and he has a great rundown on the Apple TV, including he was the first one to mention what is obvious when you think about it. Uh, there's no backup for your Apple TV because there's no data that's stored uniquely there except – well, it should be able to take kind of a screenshot exactly. of all the, the yeah. apps you have installed. You and for the love of God, your usernames and passwords. Yep. Um, so if it you would get be a, nice. iCloud machine... keychain library, make it happen. I just said I don't like using things that have iCloud and library in them. I guess it's just iCloud keychain, so we're we're safe on the whole my library problem. But um, yeah, iCloud keychain on the Apple TV must make it happen because then all it would really have to do is – have a tiny list of like what files you've had. And you can even get those back from the purchase section. You know, like if if you get a new Mac, you go to the Mac app store and it says, okay, here's all the maps you had on your old Mac. You want to put any of these on again? Like that would work on the Apple TV. So we're, we're fine there without having like no, no, backup, but backup. But don't you want to reenter all your passwords for every no, service again? With no, Yeah, it's the sound in my nightmare. Uh, my children were laughing at the uh, password letter selector too. Even my husband was like, "Wow, they just put them in one long row, oh huh?" It's like the <laughs> he's wo- not even a tech guy, and he's like, "That seems like the dumbest way to like make so you can get enter letters." You can get PCALC for uh, uh, from James Thompson. Uh, PCALC for uh, TVOS. Mm-hmm. He's hilarious. Oh, he makes, yeah, this is good. He makes PCALC for everything. And the watch, it makes sense on the TV. I think it's sort of hilarious. It's great, but it's also sort of hilarious. Like a, a calculator on your TV. I'm like, well, that is actually kind of useful if you're there in front of the device. And our, James is a really nice guy. He's a great longtime uh, Mac and iOS developer. So PCALC, he puts up a screen capture about some kind of number selector. And I'm like, and it's a circle. And I'm like, why isn't that? Why didn't Apple design his password selector with concentric circles of letters? Because you got a touch thing. You can move it around or you can use arrows on a more primitive device. It's not a Siri remote. Um, but there's so many ways it could be better. We're going through, I mean, this has been coming up. People basically in the last you know, week plus have been talking about this, like no remote support, no Apple remote software support. Uh, there's no, you know, no Bluetooth keyboard support. The password input is bad. It prompts you multiple times as in iOS, same horrible problem. I've already entered my iCloud password. I'm, st- I, I have not had to enter it since fortunately, <clears throat> but even after doing the iPhone Bluetooth thing that worked for me, I had to enter iCloud passwords for two accounts, four times total. I've heard the same story from other people who have one or two iTunes accounts with which they are either using iCloud, because uh, I, because of historical reasons, I have an iCloud yeah, account too. and I have an Apple, you know, iTunes account essentially. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm throat clear. Wait. So yeah, we just posted some Apple TV tips, um, and one of the things there were a couple of things in there that I hadn't mentioned yet that uh, that Caitlin dug out. And one of them was that, yeah, the, the multiple accounts thing. So I n- noticed when I was signing up that there was, you know, a way for me to enter like, okay, I use this account for my iCloud. I use this account for my iTunes. Guess what? Um, you can enter multiple iTunes accounts and flip back and forth. What? Um, if, yeah, yeah. You can go like, so it only has, when oh, you set up, it only has you sign that. into one. But then if you go into the menus, you can go ahead and sign into another. So if there's someone else, like if you have a roommate or something who's, you know, also using your Apple TV, you don't oh necessarily have to like share an what? account or use family sharing. If, you, if you're already in a family sharing group, yeah. that's actually a more seamless way to do it because you can go to iTunes and go to purchased and then there's like a little family sharing option there and you can just switch Why between your Apple family members. Promoting this, but if though? you go all the way into <sighs> settings, I mean, so it's, it's clunky. You have to go all the way into settings. But if you and your, you know, roommate 
um, had different libraries you, of purchased movies and TV shows. You could go into settings, say, okay, now I'm Glenn, like now I'm somebody else, and it supports more than one account. I, I don't understand. I've always wanted iOS to support, I mean, not in the early days, but once there was enough power, I wanted iOS, especially an iPad, mm-hmm. to support multiple users. And it's, there's like a- like Kid mode, grown-up mode. Remember yeah. kid mode on the Mac? I, like no one uses it anymore. Oh yeah, but. like, uh, you know, I, well, we have a, we use a parental controls account for our kids on their machine. Uh, and it's even their machine and we still uh, do it. But, but there Apple was that ha- super simple one that would make it oh, like- Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that, which is, yeah, which is great. But, you know, you can't, all graphical. Play, can't play Minecraft with that. So No, no. Uh, but I do, uh, Apple has this odd insistence that um, its iOS devices are for one person, even though they obviously often aren't. Like, you can make the case that a phone is really for one person, but what if I want to hand my phone to someone? I want to drop it into guest mode yeah. and hide all my personal stuff, but give them access. This is like well, guest mode. you can mode use guided you... access for that, but that's, yeah, but you know. Yeah, for one it's after the time, just for one thing, yeah. Yeah, and you have to No, but my kid has my iPad, and it's his, and I have a few apps on it, and I stuck them in a folder called Mommy, but, like, there's nothing <laughs> keeping him from going in there, you know? I and it's nothing very sensitive, but... You know, I don't want him going in and watching like, you know, some of the the shows that I like I have the Bravo app in there for my Bravo shows and there's Uh-oh. nothing in there that he should watch. There's no appropriate programming in the Bravo Listen, app for him. Deadwood is he okay ignores for it, kids but someday at any he age. might not. Uh yeah, I just I think it's just a strange insistence when you you've, you're using uh, iOS and tvOS and OS 10 are all fundamentally multi-user multitasking threaded operating systems so mm-hmm. there's support there this is what gets me the Bluetooth argument I was having this discussion on the Twitter as I do about why Bluetooth <laughs> keep why do Bluetooth keyboard support didn't exist and it's like well you know they might have to integrate it I'm like it has a Bluetooth stack. It has its tvOS. It uses Bluetooth for HomeKit. It uses yeah. Bluetooth for the Siri remote. It's you got compare full... Bluetooth headphones to it, which was another thing I didn't notice. So if you oh, want to watch geez, Die really? Hard and everyone else in your house is sleeping, I like, didn't know that. Oh no, man, see, me I feel like the TV. I feel like Apple has not messaged this device very well. They didn't because, even tell us how to pick which size to buy. Yeah, I know. It's so I just think you know Bluetooth keyboard support. That was a design decision. I mean, so the rumor that's come out, and I will repeat this because it's not a, a business rumor, but it's more of a like that I've heard it now. I think from it's coming from different directions, so it's it sounds credible to me. Is that tell us the rumor? It's okay. the, the, the rumor is <laughs> that's is that Apple had this thing basically ready to go months ago, and which we which there were rumors about that. The time they had the Apple TV was sort of like a new one coming out, and then there was this long pause before it got announced, then a pause before it was shipped. So, the deal is the hardware was conceivably done a while ago before iOS 9 shipped, before El Capitan shipped. Um, probably, you know, by the time the Apple Watch was ready, uh, but they couldn't do these deals, and there were the deals weren't happening, weren't happening. And the word is uh, that the team working on it essentially went on to work on other stuff, and then they said, Okay, we got to ship this thing, and they were brought back on, and boom, boom, boom and it feels that way. Is this true? We, Apple will never tell us. Uh, you know, we don't know how accurate the rumors are. It doesn't matter if it's true or not because it, the, the device feels as if it was partially done and then rapidly finished because some mm-hmm. things are very well done and finished and other things are inexplicably missing or difficult. As if at the last minute, the fact that there's no Apple Watch integration, the fact that, uh, you know, Jason Snell has repeated this a number of times. He was at the Apple TV event. He asked an Apple person, hey, you know, uh, is there remote app support coming? And he expected the person, this is his story, which is, you know, it's classic. Like he expected the person either to hem and haw or to not have an answer or something. Instead, the person said, no. And yeah, I just, they would say, they would either say <laughs> yes, or they would say, well, we can't talk we about can't that. Talk or about they would or like, say like, oh, I'm not really sure. Oh, I'll find said, out for you, which is no. a lie. But they and just came right out and said no. And, and he you're was just like, like really? So no means, does that mean never? And we have heard nothing from them. So even with all these complaints, Apple will sometimes respond when they hear a, uh, 
you know, consistently aired complaint. Um, I said, Someone should you, email Tim Cook and just ask him. Yeah. You know, and I like think, sometimes they ad- answer emails from regular people. It's true. Not and from I, journalists, but from regular people. This is why I refer you again to Joe Rosenstiel's rundown because he goes through, he is, he was looking forward to the Apple TV uh, and he is having, I mean, some of the things we're talking about, even the ordering process, like the fact that they couldn't exactly tell you when it was coming and then it was suddenly available in the stores. We didn't know. It's just the execution of the release is very weird. And it feels very, uh, I, I, God, I always hate to say this because I feel like I'm, you know, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be a credible, objective journalist and I'm trying to not be, you know, a troll about this, but I do feel like Apple TV, uh, it's the same thing I had the feeling with the Apple Watch OS, uh, one and, and two is better, but not enough to compel me to keep my watch. Apple, uh, TV OS is a 0.9 product, maybe mm-hmm. 0.95. It wasn't fully ready. It's irritating to use in a bunch of ways, in ways that I don't expect to come from Apple. I expect for Apple to shave these things off. And it's the same way. I mean, are you as baffled as I am that you get the iCloud password pop up as an iOS the way you do? I'm baffled by it. I don't know. There's no reason for it. There's no there's no uh, user or security explanation for why they can't manage that process better. And then to see it in tvOS, you're like, they, uh, uh, you know, so... Uh, it's not that they shouldn't have released it, but it does not feel like something that was ready. And I, I just hate that feeling because I feel like that is the Apple promise is they sometimes ship stuff where stuff isn't fully baked, but it's so useful. You get over the fully baked part and then it comes later. We were all complaining about Yosemite when it first shipped because it was not fully baked and we felt like it wasn't ready. Then they baked it in and El Capitan has been so much uh, smoother a transition and they kind of caught up with that and with iOS 9. But this does not feel right. Yeah, um, it's it's gonna if if it keeps going on like this, it's gonna be like the early software. People will just like take longer to update the software, and Apple likes to tout, okay, like you know, a month after iOS nine comes out, this this percentage of people have already upgraded to iOS nine. Part of that is probably just because their devices were nagging them to. Exactly, but, My wife um, is so angry. But yeah, about it's that. people are gonna just start delaying that more, and it's gonna be like you know the their reputation with cloud stuff is that they'll have to like battle back from that and be like no like the you know 1.0 versions of our software 0.0 versions of our software like aren't aren't crap we'll prove it to you so i would like to see more evidence of that but um this is the you know i i'm not gonna um you know put the narrative of uh apple is failing it's not it's got 200 billion dollars in the bank yeah you don't want to say doomed but you know it's not doomed it's just i just feel like i don't like i it's I don't like Apple to be sloppy because we Mm -hmm. expect from them, the reason they get a premium, the reason they can make 30 to 40% margins is you're paying, you know, you are paying extra. You can get similar products often for, oh, this is changing too, right? Because they have the control of the supply chain and they're making stuff on a huge scale. They're going to be able to preserve their margins because even at the price they charge, they're competitive with other products and they're still making a margin the other products aren't. So that's changed their necessity to justify it as much. So I would never say there was an Apple tax um, in that. T- and if there were, it's gone away. But they keep their margins because their thing is we are the spit polished, you know, whatever. And I feel like the hardware is still executing on that. Like the uh, Apple TV is a great piece of hardware. The Apple Watch is a great piece of hardware. The software is like, uh, come on. Guys, yeah, and can, we need to see oh. the attention to detail yeah. in the software that it is in the hardware. And That's sometimes exactly there's, I mean, like that screensaver, that screensaver is really, really nice. And I feel like there was so much effort put into the screensaver. They sent up helicopters and drones. Oh, and it's so beautiful. Yeah. They, yeah. Like all this stuff. But like, that's, 
I would rather have no screensaver <laughs> and decent text input. Like focus on the things that people are actually going to use. I mean, I guess the screensaver comes up on your screen a lot, but it just doesn't. I don't know. Pain points. Solve my pain yeah, points. Yeah, solve the pain points. You know, I mean, look, the original iPhone was terrible in a lot of ways, but it was so much better than anything out there that you coped with its limitations. But when you're at a point when everything else out there is better, you know, Chromecast and Fire and so and Plex and whatever, and you're you're saying like, look, Apple, come into this market and compel us to be part of your ecosystem, be better. And they're not being better. They're 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 catching up and they're not hitting the mark that they need to. So. Uh, that's why we're fanboys, of course. <laughs> and thus ends the fanboy podcast. About, uh, but I think we've I think we've run through our roughly hour here. And uh, next week we'll have more information about the iPad Pro because it will have shipped, and ostensibly you'll have had your hands on it. Down yes. There. Maybe I will. I may go. There's an Apple store uh, at an intolerable lifestyle mall near me where it's impossible to park. And now there's an Amazon bookstore. Are you getting one? Uh, no, I am not. But I might okay. go there and play with one because I would okay, like to cool. see. I would like to know how the iPad Pro uh, feels and works. Um, but there's also the. I, I should go and check out the uh, bricks and mortar Amazon store. Is uh, just a, about the equivalent of two blocks inside this lifestyle mall. Uh, it's past four Starbucks. I have to go buy four Starbucks between. <laughs> and you think I'm kidding? Seattle. There are four Starbucks. No, I at believe this mall, you. I believe you. Including the the Starbucks across the street and down a block. From the Amazon store, between the Amazon and Apple store, when the Apple the Apple store is across from a Microsoft store, I should point out, or vice versa, uh, that Starbucks was at one time the highest grossing Starbucks in the world, and now I believe it has been supplanted. So, the last uh, time I was in Seattle, I had to walk from a downtown hotel to the Amazon campus. It was about half a mile, and I think I passed like five Starbucks in that time. This is, uh, and they're all busy. The thing is, they're all yeah, busy. Yeah, no, I, I went to one. I stood all in line. I, I, I considered buying like a special Starbucks Seattle mug. I love Starbucks. Uh, well, we have, you know, this This is our Seattle thing. We have Costco's and uh, from this so area. So now no one's going to listen to my opinion about Apple anymore. They're going to be like, that's just some girl who drinks too much Starbucks. What does she know? <laughs> you drink too much. Star- <laughs> I don't know. I drink, I, uh, I drink their green tea lattes. I'll tell you that. Powdered green tea. Powdered green tea. Uh, we've become punchy on this podcast, so it's time to say goodbye. <laughs> now that we're talking about our Starbucks drinks. Starbucks we're gonna, drinks. We're Thank you, it. Susie. Nice to talk to you again. You too, as always. And this has been Nicolette Fleischman, a senior contributor over here at Macworld. And this has been episode 482 of the Macworld podcast for November 11th, 2015. We love to hear from you and you really can get in touch. You can find us on Twitter. Well, we're at Macworld, of course, but we're also at Glenn F with two N's and at SF Suze, S-F-S-O-O-Z, like Zed. Uh, podcast at Macworld.com. Uh, sorry, podcast with a singular at Macworld.com. will get emailed to us and you can comment at Macworld.com on the story in which this podcast appears and we go and read those comments. Uh, So thank you everyone for listening and we will talk to you again next week.